RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Well, it's been quite a week, couple of weeks in politics in terms of what we've been looking at with Democracy NZ. And now a video that it's fair to say has gone viral around the country. I first saw it uh, on Tuesday evening, and that was Winston Peters. And I'll, I'll give you a quote from him. And this was in a response to a question he was asked at a public meeting by a woman regarding vaccines, injuries, and I think even the word death was mentioned. And here was Winston's quote, and we'll get to Winston in just a moment, live. Look at the pattern of unusual death rates of so many populations post-COVID. I'd like to see what the explanation for that is. Usually they tell you it might have these side effects, but they didn't. And that's the worst thing. So Winston joins us now. Do you think that was a brave thing to say, Winston? No, uh, it's uh, what I, um, there's a packed meeting. People were there seriously in a, what is a Labour Party town in Dunedin. And a woman is asking, not just on behalf of herself, on behalf of others, she's asking someone who's been vaccine, vaccinated three times what I thought of this um, information. And I told her what I honestly believed, because at the time, when it first came here, COVID in 2020, in February, March, we had no idea what we're dealing with. We could remember the Spanish flu of 100 years, almost 100 years before that, and the dire consequences. But my point became very clear as I was there in the cabinet room, that there were these absolutist answers that sort of argued that we know the science and yet the empirical evidence behind the research and the trials was never there. And that's when I got gravely disturbed because it was against all my education, all my training, and above all, as a politician, and sadly, that's a lost art. But your job is to keep on asking good questions until you've got the answers and we weren't getting them. So I told her what I believed, and I can back it up by the fact that uh, the evidence in 2022 is that it looks like we've just delayed the onset. If you look at the number of uh, COVID outcomes and indeed deaths in 2022. What sort of, well, you were there for a bit of it, right? I mean, there was a sort of like a crossover time when you were finishing up one uh, term and then it was the 2020 election. Okay, so the time before the election, what sort of information at your level, were you getting? And, and who was who was giving that information? Well, of course, we had these experts giving their information. And the question that I asked myself at the time is, but how expert are these epidemiologists? How certain are they, are they what they're saying? And where's the science, so to speak? Because you're always told to follow the science, read the science. Well, then put back, please show it to us. And then you had some of these epidemiologists going on TV at night and telling Cabinet that we could have 50,000-plus deaths or even more. Just startling, surprising figures, astonishing and, and extreme, with no evidence to back it up. And as someone who has had, uh, because of rugby injuries and things like that, a number of operations, usually uh, you get told, well, there could be side effects to this, but you're told the whole lot all the things you need to know before you sign off to have the operation. In this case, people were told the things they needed to know by way of there could be side effects. And then we hear that, you know, the Australian um, great bowler, the greatest bowler probably Pickett's ever had, looks like he might have died of a heart attack as a result of um, the, the COVID vaccination. 
when he was on holiday. Uh, and then you start to hear the figures of 2022 and there's a massive rise that looks like we, in our lockdowns, merely delayed the onset of the effects. Now, Ken, my question uh, was that uh, we were not telling the people the truth. I mean, you know, Dr. Fauci, United States, began in 2020 by saying masks are virtually useless, waste of time. And within a matter of weeks, he'd done a flip-flop. Who made him, who persuaded him to do that? Uh, and then uh, we were there trying to find masks ourselves without people asking the question, but what would the quality of the masks be? Were these going to be surgical masks? Or they just masks that dish out so people might conform to a certain standard without having the utility to conform with that standard? Just far too many questions not answered. And then worst of all, you had, you know, statements such as the Prime Minister made, if you take this vaccine, you won't get COVID and you won't die. Uh, or, you know, uh, what you hear from us is the podium of truth. If you hear anything else, it won't be true. And we had a compliant media. We'd like to sort of uh, a mania sort of going along with this dialogue without doing their professional job of asking the simple questions. But could there be evidence that suggests that this is not true? Could there be some balance? Could we take into the into our confidence the people of this country who are desperately wanting to know, but what are we dealing with? And here we go now, compounded by the, at this very point in time decision just the other day, we're not going to have an inquiry until after the election. And here comes the question, why not now if you've got nothing to hide? Because it might be political. Well, why don't you face up to the veracity and the integrity of your position and face the public as well? That's what democracy is about. Well, our current prime minister was at the centre of it as well, wasn't he? He was right there. He was the... They're all the, the centre, but I could give you some circumstances which were just stunning in their naivety. You remember one time you had the prime minister and Bloomfield saying that COVID had come here from America, the freezing works in Australia and Melbourne, Australia. And within an hour, not knowing what they'd said, I was on an Aussie program saying, well, that's bunkum. And all of a sudden, I've got everybody from the cabinet the ninth floor down wanting to know why I said that. And my response was, well, you have got to be joking. Why are you asking me? There are 1,200 workers there. If two got COVID, then they didn't get it inside the, the factory or the plant. They got it downtown Melbourne. Look, it's, it's logical. It's axiomatic. It's not possible that, that two of 1,200 got it in one place and all the rest didn't. And within a day, the um, company in Australia was saying, well, excuse me, but we haven't exported any products to you for four and a half months. Huh. Okay. And a day later, Bloomfield and Jacinda Dern backed down, but never said Winston Peters was right, did they? You see what I mean? And, so, the, media, uh, and the, media, uh, the media heard all that? Mm. Give what I said the light of day. Now, there's something frightening about that. Well, you weren't saying the right thing, that's why. Well, that's, but there's something frightening about that. Yeah, right? there is. Um, a culture that is now headed up by semi-compliant media. And I'm telling you, it's rotten for a democracy. Well, it could have cost lives, actually. In terms of, um, you know, this this sort of dogged pursuing of one way of doing things, one narrative, why do you think the whole concept of informed consent, which seems to be an absolute bedrock of medicine, it has origins in a very terrible time, 
um, people will know that time I'm referring to. That was thrown out the window. Can you explain that? Yes. A liberal elite autocracy thinks like that. They believe that everybody will conform to their description of what's required. These are people that run around celebrating diversity without ever understanding that people are very different. They've got different opinions, different views, different preferences. They have no regard to those differences, although they speak about it every day when they talk about other policy. When it came to this issue, you either were a numb down uh, or uh, a recipient of Giga. You know what Giga means, don't you? Garbage in, garbage out. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> We're just numbed down to that sort of behaviour. And what frightens me, and I look back in my long political career and think, I've never seen a time in this country's politics where so much malignant arrogance uh, had so much persuasion in a democratic system. We had a, a, a bit of a luxurious situation, if you want to use that word, in New Zealand because we were behind the timeline of the rest of the world. You're talking about measures that were kind of uh, uh, taken early on. We had about a six-month runway in. So the whole idea of it being, you know, it's stopping transmission and stopping you going to hospital, we, even when that was said, we, if you'd looked around for the information, and I've got specifics here if you want to go into them, but I, I don't think we need to because it's generally accepted now, that we knew all that when they said the 180-degree opposite, which was the key thing to say, because that that assured people, you know, safe and effective, will stop transmission, will stop you going to hospital, that that assuaged their anxieties and, and problems with taking something new and experimental. But they knew. They actually knew. Well, there was information coming to the Minister of Health, indeed the Prime Minister's office, which was being withheld from the rest of us. Because there were certain people in the health system that say, hang on, hang on, there's something wrong here. You know, you, you can't, these people are not all compliant idiots. A number of them were saying, hang on, there's codicils, there's cave that you've got to put on here. That information was left out. Yeah, but what information to leave out? Crikey. Well, critical information to come to better decisions, rational, sane decisions. Here's the reality. Uh, if you look at many of the island states, including you know, PNG and New Zealand and other countries, despite what you just said, their outcomes were far, far superior to countries that were taking all these lockdown provisions and doing everything else to shut the whole country down. But they weren't shutting down PNG and around the, these places. And some of us were looking at it and were frightened by what we saw because we thought, well, if that's true, this will be mayhem in those countries. And as it turns out, if you do the island study, which is available now on the latest research, then the results were far, far the reverse of what these countries and these so-called experts were saying. Were you one of those people that was fearful early on? Oh, there's no doubt about it because, you know, someone with a Maori background and knowing my ancestry and how my father's parents were all dead when he was a young boy and the family sort of all orphaned off. And as they went from um, Spanish flu infected home uh, and they started to retrench into the same home. The survivors got worse and worse and worse, and the death rate was eight to nine times worse, possibly nine times worse than the European world because of their lack of inbuilt immunity because of the recent uh, uh, association with other civilizations. And so, of course, all we were frightened because we could see 
that where Marian Basilica could uh, be concerned, it could be so much worse. But And that's not the point. I'm talking about when we should have been asking the right questions and when we should have known. Because at the beginning, I forgive anyone who's, who didn't know, as I didn't know, and no one did know, exactly what were we dealing with. Because you said some quite, <clears throat> excuse me, strong things about, you know, getting vaccinated or directed at the unvaccinated. Was that just something that happened in the time with the information uh, that we all had? Because I, I've got some of them here and I, only said I can understand thing. why you might have said them, but you did say them. I only said one thing, that it was a day when I wasn't doing my Facebook. Someone else did it. And when I found that out, I stopped all that and made sure that I was there every day for Facebook thereafter. It was a simple mistake that someone made, but it was not my feeling, but I can tell you exactly what it was now. And I regretted it, and I'm owning up to it. But here's the point. I was being criticised well before the 2020 election of not playing ball, not going along with the so-called podium of truth. You all know that. Every journalist knew that. And the attack on me was huge coming to the 2020 election. Now, the consequences were huge but I don't regret it because the um, evaluation of history will see those of us who are concerned at the misinformation, disinformation and the censorship, those of us will be proven to be right. I just just hope that woke, cancel culture media have the integrity to to own up to it when all this is so apparent. So now we're in a situation where I think there's, I mean, I know people, you probably know people that seem to have been affected by this vaccine. And it's common knowledge, but it's not spoken about much. And I I think that's why how you responded to that question has gone so wide and got so many people talking. So so what do we do about that? What do we do about that? Well, first of all, you know, the reality is that the, the vaccine was good for a certain part of the population. But my point is, people had a right to say no, and especially if they had not been given the warnings about the possible side effects, they had a right not to be mandated out of their jobs, to be treated like common criminals, still not mandated back in now. They've got a right to not be the subject of what is in 20th century, 21st century witch trial conducted by people who, in terms of what they knew, should be ashamed about what they didn't know. To some of these, so I'm looking at some of those people, and as a, as a long as a lawyer from a long time back, uh, the simple things that you do is you've got to say, "Hang on, this could be an octopus. I want to see what the other seven legs look like." But no, they didn't. It was that absolutism went, went against all the grains of my training and my political experience, and I said so and paid for the price for it. But I'm glad I did back then, and even at the Neden and that call the other night, the other afternoon rather, because. Basically, you, you've just been describing coercion to take this thing, and there have been bad consequences. Responsibility has to lie somewhere, and that's serious responsibility if you've forced people into that, and now they're disabled for life or even dead. Well, here's the point. Now that they're starting to say, it's sort of leaking out. The most obvious and apparent evidence is leaking out, or should I say it's squeezing its way in against resistance that the possible side effects could be huge, that people are going to have shorter lives, they're going to have conditions they would never have had. Now, th- these side effects of the COVID vaccine 
should have been warned about because in any scientific evaluation and trials and research and meta-analysis, it would have come out. But here we got this appalling circumstance on this thing called COVID-19 where they don't want to know the truth because the truth might find them out. And that's the problem. And this is something, as a nation, it's one hell of a thing to stay quiet about. I mean, precious, well, bu- precious building. It's built. Yeah, but, you know, but you've got what I might call media, excuse the language, but media dickheads who will say, that guy is a COVID denier. He's yeah. a vacuum denier. That's bulldust. All I'm saying to them is, why aren't you prepared for people to know the total truth? Because it's part of their freedoms and their liberty to be able to, 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 be able to make an informed decision, which is what everybody does with ghosts before the operating table or their family does. So why, in the circumstances of COVID-19, were they not part and parcel of this Hippocratic Oath process? Yeah, so with all your years of experience, political manoeuvrings and and all the people that you've come across and, and had to work out, I mean, this is something that has to be addressed. And you talked about that commission of inquiry and, you know, the terms of reference have massaged out many of these <laughs> questions to be just so happens. Um, you think that's an accident? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. That's my personal well, yeah. view, but of course not. But, you know, this is something that's really serious. It's going to have to be dealt with somehow. I mean, in Australia, it's the equivalent to one and a half 747s crashing every week with everyone being killed. Yeah. But Paul, I'm glad you're asking the question, but the people viewing this program that are asked it themselves, and it really comes down to this answer. If we do care, you can't go on sitting on your fingers or your hands. You've got to do something. And don't take wild choices. You've got to look around and see where it is that the forewarnings came from that were not forewarnings designed for political advantage. I can tell you the very reverse happened but they were important. They need to do something. And that's what the clarion call for the next three and three months and two weeks is about. Okay, well, let's get on to that. You visited Parliament. I've seen video of you walking through. and I'm sure you have, I think you've shared some of those impressions with us in previous chats, but you'll have all those memories and the visualisations and that will inform you as to the electorate. Now, you need 5%. There was a Horizon Research poll, I think Stuff published that, that showed 30% of support for the anti-mandate protest back then. It's probably, that's aged well, I would imagine. So this, I won't call it an opportunity because it's not a moment to be opportunistic, but I mean, I can do the math here. Well, I suspect I might know what you're saying, but it's not clear what you're saying. Okay, well, there's a great great opportunity to really... It's not an opportunity. I didn't want to use that word, but... No, I want to trash that now. My colleague Derek Ball and I, former MP with me from New Zealand First, is still with us now. We went down because we found out that all the political parties had signed up not to talk to those protesters. Very few of them were lawlessness, lawless. 95% were law-abiding, just wanting an answer, just wanted to be heard. And when we found out that they'd signed a pact not to see them, National Greens, Labour Act and, and uh, all the rest, uh, we said we're going to get on the, the plane and going to go and see these people. We don't care what the media think. But you can recall the next morning, 
me being on a program, being attacked for being there by the media. I mean, a sort of boo-hoo moment, a kind of thing. Don't even understand that people have got a right to be heard. And then, of course, we were terrorists. Uh, we were um, described and trespassed off there as terrorists. Other MPs have been, other former MPs have been there as well. They were all trespassed off as being a terrorist. But what did they do about it, the rest of them? Well, not a thing. In contrast, we took Mallard all the way to the High Court and beat him in the High Court. It costs money to do that, but we did. We wanted to prove that you can take some action, you can do things. And if others had taken the legal action in the defence of themselves, I am certain that they would have won, including people who have been mandated out improperly. Okay, but <laughs> get back to it. Um... Well, that's our, that's our bona fides. You know, as Henry Ford say, as I said, yeah, uh, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. I'm asking people to believe what I did do already. I hear you. But what you said on Tuesday in Dunedin has impacted significantly on people just in the last 24, 48 hours. Well, you know. I'm so you've done that. That's in the did category as well. Yeah, well, I'm pleased that people are waking up because, you know, let's be fair. People are working sometimes three jobs, 75 hours a week. They've got a whole lot of responsibilities and a cost of living crisis. And they entrust politicians, so to speak, to act for them, to, to look after their interests. And they're, now, and they're finding out with great disappointment that that no longer is the case. And so that's why that 30% is a significant figure. I think the moment the, where the truth comes out about the efficacy of this vaccine in everybody's case, then that number will grow rapidly. Because what's propping it up now is the cancel culture, the censorship against, and the misinformation, disinformation, which they rage about all the time they talk about free speech on this issue. And they are seeking to misrepresent the truth that people are going to find out more and more a day about the shortcomings of this vaccine. I think you used the word gaslighting. Yes. You know, the, you, you're saying that you're being, they're gaslighting you. I, I'm sure you said that. Oh, look, look, I've had wall-to-wall meetings in every part, every cam, uh, part of this campaign, and Blenheim and all over the country. We're going to be in Napier this uh, Sunday. We're going to be in Tauranga after there. And not one mainstream media has ever turned up, and I got a small column in the Otago Daily Times, the first time anybody from the mainstream media has turned up, and yet they're going to the opening of an envelope for other political parties and other candidates who won't decide this election, but people who want some veracity and truth and commitment and experience in this election will decide this campaign, and that's why the polls aren't worth the paper they're written on. They're <laughs> <laughs> Don't own any shares in polling companies, I take it. No, no. I tell you what, as far as I'm concerned, the, the polls live in Warsaw. Now, these New Zealand polls are the worst in the, in the democratic world. They're shocking. Hmm. And you're out there saying, we know this and we know that. And my answer to you is, well, stand back and watch on election night. And I hope your industry shamed into retirement. Yeah. Um, last question on, on, on this specific thing. Will you be saying more? Like you said, I mean, you were answering a question. I realise it was off the cuff, but you know, it's out there now. Will you be, will you well, be broaching this more and more? Well, it's funny you should ask me that question because I'm speaking at Napier, and a number of people have. I don't know as a consequence of what you, you're just saying, 
But out of the, the ether, so to speak, in the last 24 hours, I've got people asking, will you do it? Will you talk about that when you get to Napier? And now I know why, why they're asking me. I, I didn't understand why would people all of a sudden ask me about that issue? But now they're asking me before I even get to, to get to the meeting. And okay. so, yes, yes. All right. Okay, so um, Democracy NZ seems to have kind of melted down a bit. There have been candidates that have walked. I don't know if it's four, five, six or nine. It's hard to keep uh, track of them out there. Have you, and they're good, you know, people say they're good people. Have your party been in contact with any of those uh, who bailed out of DNZ? I can tell you the truth that some have written to me and some have come to a meeting we had um, in Cambridge recently was also a tremendous meeting uh, in the last couple of weeks. And we've said, look, we'll get back in contact with you because, as you know, this is an intense part of the campaign. We're planning and preparations, everything, and we'll be getting back to them. Um, but I, was now, I wasn't surprised, and I'll tell you why, because starting a political party and making sure it survives is one tough, tough job. Make no bones about it. It's hard work, and I've seen so many parties start, and I've looked at them and thought, I don't want to put them down, but I thought, you're not going to last five minutes because you haven't got the thing that's required. You're not motivated. You're not motivated by a, a thing called the romance and glamour of great ideas that are worth standing for. You're interested in power and politics, but you're not romantic. What drives you in the end will be our commitment for these things, great ideas and great principles, which should prevail in politics. And that's why they'll go down like nine flies, uh, like nine pins from here on in. Democracy right. is just, just the beginning of that. Okay. And um, any comments to make about our Prime Minister meeting the WEF? <laughs> there he is. I, Chippy. I cannot, for the life of me, think of what purpose he has when the WEF has just recently announced that one of their primary move. Uh, utilities for going forward will be AI, artificial intelligence, or perhaps it's better than what's coming out of there right now, this globalistic approach. No intelligence. <laughs> NI. <laughs> yes, that's right. But I thought, why would he do that? Uh, and when he should remember that his job when he gets anywhere in the world is to do the utmost for a country called New Zealand. Well, there seems to be a, a really close association, Jacinda Ardern. Christopher Hipkins, and, and there are other names who go through lists. Yeah. But, you know, none of us citizens kind of want – we're suspicious, you know. We want to know, what, but it's in our face all the time. No one ever explains it. No, you know. Who's running this show? Yes, but there are people watching this program right now who need to answer this question. Why would you vote for people who are globalist in their priorities as opposed to being nationalists? And nationalist is not a bad word because, you know, the – the things to do with security, economic progress, housing, health, education, crime, law and order, these things are national issues that we need to fix up. That's our number one priority. But to get on a plane, and I was a foreign minister twice, nothing's more boring than getting on a plane to go to see people. But if it's advancing your nation's interests, great. I had a reason to be there, but I didn't do it voluntarily because I thought it was a good idea. I did it because right. it should be done. How do you think that meeting, you've been in this situation? between she and Chippy from Upper Hutt would have gone? Well, apparently it went fine. Uh, what was not explained by the media there is how come the uh, story about the foreign minister being ticked off by China's foreign minister... Yeah. Is, um, Harangued, I think the word was. 
yeah, is said by the mainstream media of this country not to be true, excepting when Chibi, as you put him, or Prime Minister Hipkins was asked that question, he did not deny it. Now, that non-denial tells me it's true, straight away. No way he got on the plane without about 250 pages of briefing, including that as well. And that would have been the principal part of the briefing. So I suppose you could say he should be congratulated for getting in there and out of there without making a mistake. Okay. Winston, thanks for coming on again. Look forward to more chats as we get closer in. We'll be following things, and we'll be looking for the next bit of viral. You'll hear from us definitely (laughs) if that happens again. So um, thanks for coming what on. About, what about you have me on when it's not bio, when it's just plain common sense? And well, we've already done that twice. Twice? Yeah, <laughs> we've had you twice already, and, and there's plenty of time to run. Don't worry. Yeah, but you've had a lot of others are going to fall by the wayside, and they're not going to be around in 2023. Well, that'll be part of the fossil record then, won't it? Well, we don't want fossil records. This country this is, has reached an inflection point. We don't get this one, the selection right. This country's not going to take, make it back into the first world like it should be, at the top of the first world. This is okay. a collection of my career. So not, this is the one. This is the one. Well, it is. There's just too much going on under the radar, behind the scenes, that is anti-democratic and extreme, and New Zealand has got no idea what that's about because it's being withheld from them. Winston Peters, leader, New Zealand First. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.